Blog Talk Radio. I'm Gaston Guadalanti from Argentina and I'm on the journey with Neville D'Angelo. Angelo, your host, you are on the journey. people with intriguing stories and novel solutions to life's tricky problems. Today, my guest is Zoltan Pop. Very often I get questions like these. Do you think I can make it? Is he or she good enough to get into a great college? Should I abandon this dream and start looking for a job? Far too often these questions come when someone is on the brink. Here's the standing question today. Do you have what it Do you consider yourself the next King James, the next Nole, the new Dirk, a swifter Usain, a better Ronaldo? Or are you just having a momentary daydream? Do you consider yourself mentally tougher, physically stronger, more knowledgeable than all the many others rushing to where you want to be? Or do you just see things differently? Can you take a hit from Jake Long or Joe Thomas? You are on the journey. My guest today is Zoltan Pop. Today our standing question is, do you have what it takes? In this series, The Business of Sports, I'm bringing you experts to share with you their answers to your questions. My effort would be to get beyond maxims and tough love. I consider it a privilege, truly, when I'm invited to encourage a group, especially youths eager to find a route to fulfilling their dreams. It is quite daunting at times to sit with such a group, 
Sometimes many can spit out all the maxims on dreams, self-belief, and the like. Things drummed into them from time ever when, but you can practically see their eyes screaming a different question. I'm hearing you. I'm just not seeing the way. How do I get there? Perhaps, I don't know, some are not willing to raise the real questions they have for fear of that punto final, that dagger through the chest, those frightful words. You don't have the talent. It is my pleasure to have with me today Zoltan Pop. He's a former ATP player who has enjoyed wins over well-known players such as former world number one Australian Leighton Hewitt, Austrian Jürgen Melzer, and stylish Belgium Xavier Melisse. An ATP tour manager from 2008 to 2011, Zoltan is now director of Shores Tennis and the tournament director of Dallas Tennis Classic. Among Zoltan's many accomplishments, he was the number one junior in Hungary and a member of the Hungarian Davis Cup team. Zoltan has competed in the Junior French Open, Wimbledon, and U.S. Open, and was ranked amongst the world's top 25 in his junior years. He has led Baylor's men's tennis team in its first Big 12 championship title. He played number one for Baylor and holds the highest singles and doubles winning percentage in Baylor history and is on the Big 12 Commissioners Honor Roll. Zoltan is married and a proud father of two young children, one boy and one girl. Well, Zoltan, welcome to the journey. Thank you. Now, would you tell us what drew you into sports? Yes, it's uh, a fairly interesting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up as a, a 10-year-old, uh, I loved every sport. Mm-hmm. I did track and field, I did basketball, uh, table tennis, soccer. As uh, You know, I'm from Budapest, Hungary. I grew up in mm-hmm. Europe, and the most popular sport over there is soccer. Right. right. And it's one afternoon when I was uh, 10 years old in the summer, my dad was in love with tennis, but he had nobody to play with. So mm-hmm. he thought he would teach me how to play tennis, and then I would become his partner to right. play tennis. Right. Um, we went down to the local club over there, mm-hmm. and then a local pro looked at me with the heaviest racket that my, my father gave me. Mm-hmm. It was inappropriate at that age. <laughs> so he quickly gave me another racket. He mm-hmm. put me into his own classes, mm-hmm. and he was nice enough to give a proper partner to my dad. And that's, that's how really the whole thing started. So what, what made you like the sport? I tell you the truth, it's one of those, you know, just uh, I fell in love at, at first sight. When mm-hmm. the first time I went down, I think it has a lot to do with uh, with the instructor, the coach, the way the sport of tennis is introduced to you. Mm-hmm. When that happens, uh, you have a good experience. You go home as a kid and you think, oh, that was so much fun. I can hardly wait to go back again. Mm-hmm. I think that's what happened to me. I was fortunate enough with our local club over there, the local pro. Mm-hmm. Um, he really made it fun. Uh, it was a lot of games, you know, a lot of us at a bigger group. Uh, I, I looked over two courts down the road. I saw my dad with his hitting partner was having fun. Right. It was just a very pleasant experience. Right. And I fell in love and I started going twice a week. Ah, well, we know that you rose up to becoming the number one junior in Hungary. So, you know, tell us how you, how you get to, got to do that. 
you know, obviously, uh, the, the best thing, I'm an instructor, a coach right now as well, uh, as, a, as also a promoter of the mm. sport of tennis. Mm -hmm. uh, I love, the best thing about it is the journey. You know, mm. you go through a journey, you go through ups and downs, but as far as my story goes, um, as I was 10 years old when I started, I went through a very good summer, about two, three times a week. Mm -hmm. um, the following uh, summer is when I started eliminating all the other sports. Mm -hmm. They served a great purpose for me to continuously improve my hand-eye coordination, mm -hmm. my physique, uh, just a different perspective from different sports. Mm -hmm. So I eliminated track and field, um, slowly uh, eliminated basketball, soccer, and, and then I, find out, I found out for myself Mm -hmm. which, which I'm really grateful for my parents that they really let me make the decision even if I was that young. Right. They provided me all the resources, they put me in all these uh, sports right. where I eventually came to the decision that tennis was really providing me the most amount of fun. Mm -hmm. When I got to 12, that's when the question was proposed to me, okay, well how seriously would you like to do this? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I decided yeah, sure, I want to do it, it's fun. Yeah. I had no idea what it would take to be even a professional tennis player. All yeah. I knew, I loved the fact to, to develop my game, to improve, to try to get better. Mm -hmm. I started to play tournaments, obviously, as mm -hmm. a big motivator. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a lot of work ahead of me. Um, and at age 12 and 13, we found good clubs. But the, the big change came at, at 14, mm -hmm. when you know I was a little bit more mature physically and mentally. And, and my, my father created a, a personal team around myself. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't just go to a club to join the, the afternoon group classes, but I had my own private coach who was uh, only responsible for me. Mm -hmm. We trained uh, two hours in the morning. We trained another two hours in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Three times a week I had uh, a, a fitness, a very strong regimen where uh, each fitness training was uh, two hours long. Mm -hmm. That's from lifting weights to work on explosiveness, agility, through running, and you name it, from A to Z, everything. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I, I started on that um, schedule uh, pretty much from age 14. Mm -hmm. So my dad had a, a specifically a fitness coach for me, a mm -hmm. tennis coach. Mm -hmm. uh, we did massage every week. Right. Um, and I was starting to attend a sport psychologist which was really really helpful right as right. you know in all sports in right. life in general it's, you know success is from the neck up right, right. And, and god knows i needed help in that direction so um and i, I guess you know it's a never-ending journey anyways we will never get perfect at it um so at, at 14 is when we started really training hard um uh, at 15 i think um, my father popped the question whether i would be interested to go maybe in nick bolletier you know if, if mm -hmm. i'm really that serious and i started to show some results mm -hmm. yet i was only top 20 in the country uh, mm -hmm. remember i started at age 10 mm -hmm. and most of the competitive players who who were really good in my age group they started at five six and seven mm -hmm. so i had a little catch-up to do but i was determined that it wasn't really for me to catch off it was more for me to see how good I can become. Good. And it wasn't yeah. for me to play and show my parents or play for somebody else. It was yeah. truly for me, and that was also uh, a very important factor for for me not burning out after you know a few years of training. Right, right, right. I enjoyed that. I developed a passion for the sport of tennis. Mm -hmm. um, at 16, I was top five in in my country, and mm -hmm. and and uh, you know we successfully found a couple of sponsors that allowed me to travel around the world and we played a, a national, I mean international uh, junior tournament. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough to climb up in the rankings high enough where I would be 
part of the junior Grand Slams. Mm -hmm. I played the U.S. Open twice. I played uh, French Open once. I played mm -hmm. Wimbledon once. And, um, you know, at by age 18, I really felt like I not only caught up, but I, uh, I set a different level in, mm -hmm. as far as Hungary goes right. in my home country. Yeah. But I was number one with my work ethic, with my passion and love for the sport. Mm -hmm. And everybody was looking at, oh, that's, that's maybe the way to go mm -hmm. um, instead of parents forcing it on kids right. to do this. Right. And so I enjoyed it. Um, and what happened, I after junior years, I started to, to, to make it to the real world where... You know, my coach used to say there are two types of matches that uh, don't count, the, the practice matches and the junior matches. <laughs> Up until age 18, those were the only matches I played. <laughs> and I quickly found out, you know, yeah. professional tennis is, is a long shot. It's, it's a very tough. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I thought for a milestone, it would, it would be a good idea to maybe in the same time get an education. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that's how I started to pursue... Uh, an opportunity to come to the U.S. and mm -hmm. and play college, earn my degree at the same time. I had great offers from UCLA, Pepperdine, Florida, Duke, you name it, great schools. Oh, I knew as a foreign kid, right. I was going to attend a school in America. Right. <laughs> uh, one Hungarian, another friend of mine who was already at Baylor, uh -huh. was obviously a huge factor in me making the decision of going to Baylor and attending Baylor. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't speak the language that well. Mm -hmm. um, it was quite a ride, but obviously not good enough to start... Um, uh, acing all the tests and understanding all the, the subjects and classes and professors and what have you but right. it was good to have somebody mm -hmm. who spoke my language uh, Hungarian I was a friend who's been there before he knew the system mm -hmm. I think that that took a huge part in me making the decision to go into Baylor mm -hmm. looking back right now no I, I don't have any regrets I think I'm here uh, today having this great talk with you and I'm very thankful for Baylor. You know, yeah. I think it, it was meant to be. It had to be that way, and and I enjoyed every moment of it. What did you study at Baylor? You know, that that's another thing. Once I was 14 as a junior, you know, I put so much emphasis on tennis, and I had become a, a, a homeschooled student. Mm -hmm. I just uh, took the test every half a year. That's how I graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. I think I literally. Tennis was my whole day, my whole life, which I loved, but it never really got me thinking of, okay, what would I do if it wasn't tennis? Right. And so when I got to college, you know, first two years, I was just taking, you know, uh, basic classes just to educate myself and to figure out what do I have passion or interest for. Mm -hmm. So I had a major in finance. I knew one thing, it would be in business for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. So I majored in finance. Half a year later, I changed it to marketing, then mm -hmm. to management, and eventually I arrived to uh, Baylor has a fantastic uh, entrepreneurship program. Mm -hmm. So uh, my major is in entrepreneurship, and uh, um, the one big one big thing, uh, cultural difference from Europe to over here was. I was I was missing how my mom used to spoil me every morning <laughs> with some fresh croissants, uh, fresh bread, and right. and all that stuff. And you know, in the U.S., when I got here, it, not that it was bad, it was different. Okay, mm -hmm. you have you know your your square bread in <laughs> in a plastic bag that could last for you know expires you know in two months from now. And right. uh, long story short, I was determined I was going to open a my own bakery. Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to show people here that how we grew up and, uh, and how it is over right. there in Europe. Right. Uh, you know, it, it opened my eyes once I graduated. That that's a nice dream to have, and I continue to aim for it. However, it's 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 a tough competitive business. So right. we moved up uh, to Dallas, and then uh, I I got into tennis, and you know I still have fun till today. I use my entrepreneur skills yeah. and spirit for sure. Right. Okay. Um, one of my teammates was a a German. 
player by the name of Benjamin Becker. Ah, and yeah, yeah a lot of right. people might remember him. Yeah, he's yeah. that mean guy <laughs> who beat Andre Agassi yeah. on his last yeah. match when he yeah. retired. Right. And so, uh, you know, we were not only teammates at Baylor, we were classmates, we were roommates for that matter. I cannot tell you how many times I woke up and the bed right next to me with Benjamin's arms all over my face. <laughs> so, you know, we grew together. Four right. years we spent together. Right. And, um, when when I graduated two years before Benjamin, mm -hmm. uh, I came up to Dallas and I started working at Brookhaven Country Club as a teaching pro. Mm -hmm. When Benjamin graduated, he turned professional, mm -hmm. and uh, they asked me, they I'm saying him and another German guy by the mm -hmm. name of Benedict Dorsch, they they wanted to turn pro. They wanted to look for a coach who would travel with them. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, I had to turn that opportunity down just for a very simple reason that I. Uh, I was already married. <laughs> I didn't want to just get married as a newlywed and then leave my darling behind. <laughs> so um, they went pro, but every now and then when it was close to Dallas, mm -hmm. for example in San Jose or Memphis, uh, mm -hmm. Benjamin would call me, hey, would you be interested to come, come along for the week and, and, and be with me as a coach? Mm -hmm. And so it was 2007, I believe, when, when he called me and said, hey, I'm in Memphis. Um, would you mind coming with me? I said, sure, I go. So there I went for another purpose or reason, just to have fun, be around the pros. That's a great thing always, to watch some matches and meet some new people. Mm -hmm. When I went there, I was there with him for a week uh, as a pr practice partner, and I ran into uh, another friend of mine who I knew from college tennis, uh, Fabrizio Sestini from Italy, mm -hmm. and he used to play for TCU. Mm -hmm. We played against each other, we knew each other well, and he was the, the ATP tour manager mm -hmm. in Memphis. Uh, and so I just started talking with him, you know, mm -hmm. what do you do and what's going on, what's your job all about, and I kind of just told him, hey, if anything becomes open, just yeah. keep giving the back of your mind. and. Right. You never know what happens, and surely so, six months down the road, I got a phone call from ATP that, oh, we understand you might be interested, we have an opening from next year on, and so January 1st of 2008, I think I jumped on board with them mm -hmm. officially, and as a tour manager, um, I'm basically, what I did, I was a, a player's liaison, mm -hmm. uh, a bridge between the tournament, mm -hmm. and, and the players, I would be a player representative where the number one point person. Any any kind of problem they have, they come to me during mm -hmm. the tournament. I go represent them. I go fix the problem or or, or go talk to the tournament. Mm -hmm. I would uh, I would make sure when we had the draw ceremony, at mm -hmm. the making of the draw, when mm -hmm. players had to sign in, there was no cheating involved. Mm -hmm. Everything happened according to the rules. Mm -hmm. um, and I was more importantly heading up the scheduling committee. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Uh, when you look at some tournaments on TV, right. you see how they jump from a stadium court to right. court one and show court two and etc. Mm -hmm. I would be the one who heads up the meeting with the tournament director, uh, potentially WTA representative, ATP representative, myself, mm -hmm. and obviously the the broadcasters. I mean, there's always a huge need. I mean, they always put in a request. For example, if you play in Indian Wells, you mm -hmm. know, and and BBC in London wants to show Andy Murray with the six, seven hours time difference, how do we fit it in where right. we can play Andy Murray at the time slot, which is good for BBC, yet right. it still fits into the schedule for the tournament director to please the local crowd. Right. So uh, it was one of those battles that you could take up to three, four hours each day to, right. 
you know, we all put on our box gloves and then we try to fight for the best pots for our players. And, uh, you know, eventually it was uh, uh, always settled and we found a, a win-win situation. Right. Mm-hmm. But that that was very interesting, good fun to see who's playing what time, which court. Mm-hmm. That's basically, you know, creating a schedule. And it sounds easy, but there are so many little factors of, mm-hmm. you know, players would come to me and say, hey, last week I played at a tournament. I have a sore shoulder, I, I, I pulled my hamstring, is any way you can give me a late start? So mm-hmm. I'm the one who knows all these informations, mm-hmm. nobody else is allowed, so players come to me, I know, and I propose a schedule based on my in initial conversations mm-hmm. with what the best thing is for the tournament director, for my players, for uh, the broadcasters, etc. And then we start shifting around like uh, a puzzle pieces left and right, and we come to a conclusion of, okay, we got mm-hmm. the schedule for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was basically it. How did you did you enjoy doing that? Oh, I mean, I mean, how would you not enjoy it? Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, you, you're not only working with uh, uh, sports celebrities, but I mean, th- these guys are something different. You, mm-hmm. you talk about Roger Federer, uh, Rafael Nadal, and, and a lot of the other players. I mean, it's just amazing the the amount of people they move and the attraction they have. It's 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 great fun, and to talk to them sometimes behind the scene, one on one, and Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest challenge I had to learn is to say no to these guys. They mm-hmm. would come to me, put in a request, hey, I really want to play on Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. but no special reason, just because they feel like it. <laughs> I, I wasn't a, a, you know, required to fulfill that request. Right. And, and when I had to pull them into my office and say, listen, I do understand your request, right. yet I don't. <laughs> But I can't do it. Right. Here's another option I propose. Right. You know, we I, we had some hard hard talks, and and I must say this. We, for example, with Novak Djokovic, uh, at the beginning we just didn't really see eye to eye. He, mm-hmm. Um. And as years went by, week after week, we met. You know, uh, we worked together uh, from tournament to tournament. Nowadays, I think he would be. You know, if you talk about the top four, Roger, uh, Rafael, Novak, and Andy Murray, I think. I might have the best personal relationship with him. Um, right. We really, because we spend a lot of time together, right. gave us the opportunity right. to work together and then and then develop this relationship. But I, I did enjoy uh, every minute of it. It required 25 weeks of my <laughs> of my life each year to spend on the road. Right. It comes with a lot of perks of uh, of uh, you know meeting new people, great people, uh, you know. You see the world, uh, you rack up a lot of miles and hotel points. It comes <laughs> handy when you have a family. Um, I would say if if I was not married, it would still be a dream job, I think, to, mm-hmm. to work with in that environment with those kind of people and players and sports celebrities. Mm-hmm. Nothing can beat that. It's it's not about the money. It's about what you enjoy and what you like doing every day. Okay. And, and that, that truly was an experience. Uh, when when this opportunity came up, like I said, I was at Brook after I graduated from Baylor. Mm-hmm. I came up to Dallas. I was uh, a teaching pro at Brookhaven. Phenomenal years at Brookhaven. I learned a lot. Very thankful to Billy Fear over there and Dave Anderson. Um, when this opportunity came up to go and work for ATP, I really considered it as my my master's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mentioned it to you a little bit before, uh, I, I think there is certain certificates you can do, you can learn as a coach, you can get a master's level, uh, but to go and work with the best of the best, to learn mm-hmm. from them, to see how they do, what they do, when and how much, I think, I, I consider this this step yeah. as a milestone and, and my master's degree in coaching and, okay. and being a tennis instructor. Great, great. We will be right back with Zoltan.
Congratulations to Novak Djokovic, the justly crowned winner of the Australian Open. He survived the indomitable Rafael Nadal in the longest Grand Slam final ever. Two superhumans going at it superbly after both had competed in impeccable and grueling semifinals over respectively the reborn Murray, whose new coach is Ivan Lendl, and the genius Roger Federer, who is by no means done. Wow. I just got a text from one of my Spanish friends. I won't quote him on air. I'm very excited about the upcoming Dallas Tennis Classic. Uh, Zoltan is the tournament director of it. Let me ask him to tell us more about that. So ATP decided to create um, another tournament in between Indian Wells and Miami. Mm -hmm. Those who lose in the first week in Indian Wells, they get another playing opportunity, another opportunity to, to make a paycheck and, mm -hmm. and make it a, a sweeter package to come to the U.S. per right. se. Yeah. And, and this tournament has very special rules. Um, uh, tournaments like this are what we call challengers. Mm -hmm. they, they're not allowed to, to have top 50 players. Um, uh, we do, or our players can enter. Our tournament is actually historically a lot stronger than an ATP Tour event. Mm -hmm. We will have our top eight seeds will be top 50, Mm -hmm. uh, the cutoff, which means the last person in the draw will be top 100. Mm -hmm. um, those kind of players don't come around Dallas very often, right. or not right. at all, unless it's a, an exhibition and it's right. a fun match. But right. for a real competition, they don't come around. And we, I'm very pleased and happy with the opportunity we got. And we do this, uh, the 2012 Dallas Tennis Classic will take place at the Four Seasons Resort and Club mm -hmm. um, out in Las Colinas. Uh, they've been super uh, supportive and a great partner mm -hmm. with us this far. There is even on the tour, like I said, I travel 25 weeks out of a year. Mm -hmm. I've been to the Grand Slams, the biggest Masters tournaments, you name it. I've been everywhere, but never been such a setup like the Four Seasons, mm -hmm. where you, where you have the courts on site, you have your hotel on site, and you have a spa, you have the resort style, mm -hmm. you have the golf courses. Mm -hmm. it, it it really is a paradise for the players. So. I know that uh, a lot of them are looking forward to coming uh, to Good. Dallas this year. And what what are the dates? Of the, um, the first day of the event is uh, Monday, March 12th, and it goes through that week, and the final is on Sunday, March 18th. Yeah. Well, I'll be there. Well, I'll be there. You'll you'll be a guest of ours. <laughs> okay. Good. Thank you. We're preparing a special episode of The Journey on this upcoming Dallas Tennis Classic for all to share. It is great to have ATP Tennis in Dallas. So as soon as it's out, we hope that you will pick up the podcast and send it to your friends. On The Journey, we not only meet fascinating people like our guest today, we track the intriguing characters of three books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicit, A Time to Begin Again. I want to take a moment to recommend to our student athletes and to all lovers of sports two books to have on your smartphones or your smart reading devices. For the price of a coffee, you can retrieve from Amazon and Barnes & Noble both recommendations. The Hunk I Dreamed. It is a narrative tale of how super youths like Djokovic, Nadal, Roger, Murray, Tsonga, and Monfields 
become who and what they are. It is a quick read that you will want to keep as a handy reference. You'll enjoy reading about the five P's of being a youth of the future and about the kind of team you need to build around you to be successful in these modern times. Our second recommendation is The Rat and the Alley Cat, How to Get What You Want. This is another quick read that begins with a true story that serves as the basis for defining the seven steps to spend. Enjoy. You know, I mentioned before that I have two kids. My son, uh, Sebastian, is five and a half, and uh, my daughter, Lexi, is uh, three years old. And I constantly get this question, oh, Sebastian, five and a half, does he play tennis already? Is he the next champion? Is he the next uh, Baylor superstar? <laughs> and I have to disappoint a lot of people with my answer because I say, no, not at all. Uh, and I'm not even sure if he's ever going to be a tennis player. Uh, for what I want as a parent is to support him in whatever he thinks he's the best at, he has the most interest for, and he finds his love and passion for that something. So if it's tennis, I'm going to be very fortunate and lucky, and, and I will love that decision from him. But I, as a parent, cannot make the decision for him. Mm -hmm. And um, I will help him. I will give him all the resources I have mm -hmm. to help him make the decision. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, it will be. But if I had to advise parents, you know, uh, I tell you the truth. A, a, a kid is seven or eight. They start early. They might be a little bit more consistent than a 12-year-old. Mm -hmm. That still doesn't mean a whole lot of things because you're 12 years old, you're not going to win Wimbledon tomorrow. Right. You still have the journey. You, you know, there are several different ways uh, of going by it. That The path, the journey that leads to a Wimbledon championship is 100 million different ways. Mm -hmm. But one thing is for sure, um, and, and I tell you this, who, who've been around and been close to professional sports, if it was my daughter, I might try to push a little bit more toward tennis mm -hmm. and have a little bit more influence in her decision just because I truly, what I've seen and, and what I believe is that for the ladies, it's a little bit easier, mm -hmm. if I shall say something like that. For the boys, it's very competitive. Just to give you some numbers and statistics, um, each year there are 4 million players who try to make a living out of tennis. Wow. 4 million. 4 million. 4 million players who try to play competitive tournament tennis. Mm -hmm. Now... If you look at the rankings on ATP World Tour's website, there are maybe 1,800 mm -hmm. out of the 4 million who will get ranked. Right. Okay? Right. Now, that means you have one point and you have a world ranking. That's it. Right. If you're not top, I mean, not top 200, mm -hmm. you're not even going to probably break even. Right. Okay? Right. Um, depending on the country you're from, you would have to be top 100 in order to make some money, to tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. If you're from Spain and you have 15 players in the top 100, mm -hmm. you better be you know, top 20 right. at the beginning of that list. If you're right. the, the last uh, Spanish guy, number 15, right. and you're still 95 in the world, mm -hmm. um, you probably miss out on a lot of endorsement opportunities is mm -hmm. where they would make that real money, obviously. Mm -hmm. But if, for that matter, if you're from Hungary, right. where the number one player is 95th in the world, that's a huge deal. Right. And it could make just as much of an endorsement as a top 20 player. Right. For the boys, it's so competitive, so physical, and it's so tough, uh, you know, my son, unless he is the one who really wants to do it, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I would just, you know, encourage him to continue to be a, a student athlete, where mm -hmm. a student comes first and yeah. athlete is second. <laughs> right. Take college as I did as a milestone and find out how much more I can develop my game. Mm -hmm. um, 
both mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. And then once you graduate from schools, uh, then can decide, okay, am I going to go route of turning professional mm-hmm. and I'm ready? Or no, it's not for me. I go the other direction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, looking back, as a parent, I know I've provided the opportunity for my son, for my kids, to make the decision at that point of time. Mm-hmm. And and you, you will not be able to tell from anybody uh, at age 12, 14, 16, mm-hmm. whether they can make it as a professional or not. One thing you can do is you, you have it as a goal. You aim for the sky, and if you fall short, you're still going to be able to probably reach, you know, very high. Right, okay? right. right. Um, and and, and that's, that's my recommendation. If I ever had to advise parents what to do and how to do, try to aim for, okay, professional tennis is what we do. We're going to get on the agenda and a schedule that will allow us or give us the opportunity to become a pro. Mm-hmm. And if that doesn't happen, you know, a plan B, that would be probably a superstar in college, mm-hmm. earn a great degree. And, you know, through sports, I mean, it's a lifetime sport, you you haven't lost anything. You mm-hmm. just try to maximize what is that you can do in the sports. And if you can make it, you will make it because you train like a pro. Right. But it's hard to, it's hard, you know, I'm having a hard time, you know, having these conversations with my parents that, hey, I have a very talented kid. He's so good. And I said, sure, he is. And, and you know, we will continue to do our best to, to, to encourage them to, to improve and develop their games. Yet, it's just too early to tell. You right. know, and there's so many little factors that come into consideration when you turn pro. Um, you just got to get on the journey. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. And, yeah. and just, you know it. It's a never-ending journey. You right. know, we, we try to be, and we try to aim for perfection, but uh, thanks God we're human beings, so we can never be <laughs> perfect. <laughs> we just aim for perfection. Thank you, Zoltan, for joining us. We'll hear more about the Dallas Tennis Classic and more from Zoltan Pop in our next episode. Uh, Pick up the rat and the alley cat and the hunk I dreamed and have a beautiful week. See you.